Welcome to this Uvula audio production of X Marks the Spy by Jack Lancer. Volume 2. Chapter 3. Cafe Stakeout. Chris shuddered as the toad squirmed in his hand. Who had slipped it into his coat pocket? The girl? The squat, heavy-lidded man? Either might have done it on a trip to the restroom. Or was there some unknown enemy aboard, someone who had spotted him as a teen agent? Chris grinned coldly as his eye fell on a black-and-white checked topcoat. He had seen the heavy-lidded man wearing it back at Kennedy. Chris's hand moved casually and deposited the toad into the closest pocket of the topcoat. Behind him, Geronimo began humming an Apache war chant. "'You saw?' Chris asked over his shoulder. "'I saw.' The boys followed the stream of passengers into the huge terminal and through passport control. As they went to claim their luggage, Chris's eyes roamed around, keeping the blonde girl and the heavy-lidded mad in view. "'We'll each follow one of them,' he told his partner. Chris flipped a coin. "'Heads for the blonde, tails for Frogface.' "'Okay, I'll take that toss,' said Geronimo. Chris uncovered the coin, tails up. "'We'll meet at the hotel later,' he said. The boys got their suitcases and hurried on to the customs counter. Several lines were forming. Chris managed to slip in behind the girl. Presently he saw the squat, heavy-lidded man enter an adjoining line. The bulging eyes shot a venomous glance at Chris, who smiled back pleasantly. "'Anything to declare, monsieur?' the customs man asked. "'Nothing,' Chris replied, and was waved on. He grabbed the bag and strode out of the terminal. The blonde was climbing into a Peugeot 404 taxicab. As it pulled away from the curb, her gaze swept over the teen agent. Chris hailed the next cab in line and told the driver to follow the Peugeot. They swung out into the fast flow of traffic roaring northward to Paris. Chris kept watch out the back window but could see no sign he was being tailed. The driver eyed him in the rearview window. Etez-vous français, monsieur? No, American. Ah, you speak the language very well. Thank you. This blonde morsel in the Peugeot, she is your sweetheart? You have had the disagreement? No chance, yet, Chris grinned. Let's just say I'd like to get better acquainted. Ah, mais certainement. It is springtime in Paris, huh? The driver blew a kiss from his fingertips. I promise you, she shall not escape us. The traffic raced into the city, up the Avenue d'Italie. Chris's pulse beat faster as he savored the sights and sounds and scents of Paris. The wide leafy boulevards with chestnut trees in full bloom. The colorful news kiosks. Policemen in capes directing traffic or pedaling along on bicycles. Store shutters were being rolled up for the day's business. The Peugeot turned left on the boulevard de Port-Royal and sped into Montparnasse, the famed artist quarter. It stopped before an ancient-looking stone apartment building, and Chris saw the blonde girl get out. His own taxicab pulled over to the curb further down the block. Chris slipped the driver a generous tip. Take my things to the Hotel de Empereur, will you please? My name is on the tag. Christopher Cool. 
He crossed the street and walked back to a cafe on the corner, pausing to buy a morning paper at the newsstand. Inside the cafe, people on the way to work were snatching hasty breakfasts of coffee and croissants. Chris took a table by the window, ordered a café au lait, and kept one eye on the apartment house across the street. By the time he had browsed through the paper twice, the waiter had begun setting up tables and chairs on the sidewalk outside. Chris moved out into the sunshine. On his third glass of café au lait, he continued to keep a watchful eye on the apartment. Still no sign of the girl. Gradually, the tables began to fill up. Some of the customers were ordinary Parisian workaday types. Others looked like artists or students. A burly, muscular man in a turtleneck jersey took a table next to Chris's. He had a bristling beard, shaggy dark mane, and piercing eyes, which fixed Chris in a steely gaze. Chris remained unconcerned. You are waiting for someone? The man asked in a needling voice. Perhaps. Maybe you like my company better, huh? Chris shrugged. The fellow grinned insultingly. You smell like an American to me. Cochon. Chris grinned. I just called you a pig. I'm afraid I don't hear very well. Then I will say it louder. Cochon! The waiter hovered closer, flicking his towel nervously. Chris smiled and went on sipping. The man's face darkened. Suddenly his huge hand lashed out to knock the glass from Chris's lips. Instead, it meant empty air as Chris flung the coffee in his face. At the same time, Chris's foot extended to jerk the rung of the opponent's chair. The man landed with a hard thump on the sidewalk. He picked himself up, livid with rage and dripping with coffee. A knife flashed from under his pant leg as he lunged at Chris. What followed was like a fast, graceful ballet. Chris swept up the metal leg table and caught the knife in the wooden top. Before his assailant could let go of the hilt, Chris yanked the table aside, pulling him off balance. Suddenly, Chris assumed the kibadachi stance. Pivoting on his left foot, he drove his right elbow hard into the pit of his foe's stomach. The man gasped and crumpled as the cafe customers watched in silent fascination. The waiter bustled up, and the proprietor came hurrying out of the cafe in shirt sleeves and apron. I saw that this one was asking for it. The waiter assured his boss, nudging the fallen man with his foot. Shall I call the police, monsieur? The proprietor asked Chris. I'm sure we both prefer not to be bothered by the police, Chris said. The cafe owner splashed water in the fellow's face and they helped him to his feet. He gave Chris a stunned look and staggered off. In a few moments, Chris was seated at his table again, peacefully sipping a fresh cafe au lait. I applaud your most skillful handling of an unpleasant situation, monsieur, said a voice. Chris looked around. One of the customers had come over, a tall, skinny, mummified-looking man with wavy gray hair. He was elegantly dressed in a pinstripe suit with long pointed lapels and a pearl stick pin. On one arm hung a cane, and he was carrying a Homburg hat and gloves. Chris smiled and offered him a chair. Merci, monsieur. The clothes dummy sat down, plucking a calling card from his wallet, and handed it over to Chris. The card read, Alexander Valoud, dealer in object art, and gave a phone number and address on the Boulmiche. I'm afraid I don't have a card of my own. My name is Chris Cool. 
Baluth smiled, showing long yellow teeth, and gave Chris a quick, coldfish handshake. I'm in earth dealer, as you can see, and quite wealthy. Unfortunately, I've made a number of enemies. Business enemies, you comprehend? There are some fools who accuse me of cheating them simply because my wits and artistic judgment are sharper than their own. From time to time, several have attacked me or tried to kill me. Chris made sympathetic noises. Valud went on. I need a bodyguard. The pay would be excellent. Two thousand francs a week and all expenses. Would you be interested, Mr. Cool? Chris shook his head regretfully. Thanks, but no, I'm an American. I'm just over here on vacation. Valud's murky eyes studied the slender college boy. Then he rose and bowed. If you should change your mind, monsieur, the offer will still be open. Again they shook hands. Valud donned his hat and strolled off stiffly but jauntily with his cane. Chris settled back and returned his gaze to the apartment building. More than likely it had a rear entrance. Was there still any hope of the girl showing herself, especially if it was she who had sent the bearded man as Chris suspected? He decided to hang on until lunchtime. By then, if there was still no sign of the blonde, he would go over and have a short chat with the concierge of her apartment house. Twenty minutes later, his pulse quickened as the girl came out the front door. Chris made his way across the street through the darting traffic. The blonde was heading north toward the Boulevard du Montparnasse. Chris followed. Her steps grew slower. After a block or so, she stopped in front of the window of a boulangerie filled with freshly baked bread and pastries, and suddenly whirled around. Chris walked toward her. Why are you following me? Her pretty face contorted into a mixture of anger and fear. What do you want? For one thing, I'd like to know why you sicked that bearded guy on me at the cafe. The blonde seemed flustered by the unexpected accusation. I, I only did it because you tried me from the airport, monsieur, and then planted yourself across the street from my apartment. It is not pleasant to be so hounded. Chris shifted to the Sir Galahad approach. I'm very sorry, mademoiselle. On the plane, I sensed that you were in trouble, afraid of something. I only wanted to help. The girl stared at Chris as if she wanted to believe him, but did not dare. Suddenly her violet eyes brimmed with tears. She sobbed. Oh, monsieur, if you only knew, I have been living in absolute terror these past few days. Her voice had the ring of truth. Is there anything I can do? Chris asked gently. The girl dabbed her eyes and nose. Eh, bien. If you really wish to help, you can do so. She hesitated a moment. You see, before I went to America, someone turned over to me a priceless painting to, to keep safe. That is how the trouble began. What sort of painting? Chris asked. I have it hidden, but if you come with me, I will show it to you. She held a taxi and gave the driver directions. After a crawling ride eastward through the noonday traffic, he deposited them in the Quai Saint-Bonnard, overlooking the River Seine by the Botanical Gardens. 
The girl led Chris down a flight of stone steps to a houseboat barge moored near the Austerlitz Bridge. The painting is hidden about. Perhaps you'd better go first and show me. She gave him a reproachful look, but did not argue. Clambering onto the barge, she led the way past Terry coils of rope into the deckhouse. Chris followed, ducking his head as he paused through the low doorway. This proved to be a serious mistake. Something struck him hard on the back of the skull. Dazzling fireworks exploded in his brain and then faded out slowly into ringing darkness as he collapsed. Chapter 4 A Cold Calling Card Chris struggled for breath. He was floating, squirming, kicking in some liquid green nightmare. His lungs felt ready to burst, but when he opened his mouth or tried to inhale, what came in was water and not air. Somehow the will to live drove him upwards. He broke the surface, gulping frantically. Where was he? And the sane, of course. He trod water, fighting down waves of sickness that threatened to turn his stomach inside out. The current was carrying him downstream toward the Pont Souli and the southern tip of Ile Saint-Louis. On the quay to his left lay the great wine warehouse of Halais Auvigne. One of the glassed-in excursion boats that ply the Seine had just glided by, loaded with passengers. A tug was towing a string of barges downriver. Near the Souli Bridge he could see a pair of fishermen. Oh, these idiots, he groaned. Can't anybody spot a drowning man? Rather than waste energy shouting, Chris struck out for shore. He made it finally with his last ounce of strength, dragging himself out of the water. He flopped onto the stone key. For a while, his whole frame was shaken by spasms of retching. The fit left him weak, but got most of the water out. After a time, Chris sat up and allowed the sun to warm and dry him a bit. The houseboat was still lying moored upstream near the Pont Austerlitz. Not that there was much chance the blonde and her boyfriend would still be hanging around. He walked back along the quay. As expected, the houseboat was empty. On closer inspection, it looked as if it had not been used in some time. Painted in fading letters at the stern was the name Lilian Ostend. No doubt whoever had slugged Chris had simply picked the empty boat as a convenient trap. If the bearded man were the assailant, he could have gotten to the river fast via the metro, the Paris subway, and then phoned the girl and baited the trap, or was towed behind the attack. Well, no use standing around with tadpoles coming out of my ears, Chris said to himself. Better get out of these wet clothes and see if my red-skinned buddy has anything to report. He took a taxi to the Hotel Empereur on the Rue Saint-Jacques in the Latin Quarter. Teen had picked it as a likely student spot since it was near the Sorbonne, the heart of the University of Paris. As he registered at the hotel desk, Chris asked if his friend Geronimo had arrived yet and was told he had not. The concierge gave a slight cough. You look a bit damp, monsieur, Chris grinned. Yeah, I fell in the Seine. The man raised his eyebrows and shrugged as if to say, Those crazy Americans. Chris showered and changed into his crisp poplin suit, and then cashed a traveler's check and took a taxi to the blonde's apartment house. 
The concierge who answered the door buzzer was a gaunt, horse-faced woman with dangling earrings and a brassy yellow fright wig. Chris described the blonde girl to her. There are many blonde people who live here, monsieur. I myself am blonde. Chris tried some flattery. The one I'm looking for, madame, was not so stately and handsome as yourself, but perhaps three or four years younger, say twenty-two at most. She sat next to me on a plane from America this morning. Ah, mais oui, you mean Mademoiselle Dubois, Bridget Dubois. But alas, she moved out just an hour ago. Chris mentally chewed himself out for having gone straight back to the apartment from the quay. Mademoiselle Dubois left some forwarding address, perhaps? The woman shook her dangling earrings. I'm sorry, monsieur. She told me nothing. Chris ate a late lunch in a nearby restaurant and pondered his next move. At least he was in the right part of Paris for finding out something about Triquet. He began in an art supply shop in the Rue de l'Ambre. The dealer could tell him nothing. On other streets, Chris had no better luck. He began working his way north into the Saint-Germain-des-Prés neighborhood, which he knew was full of art galleries. The proprietors were eager to interest him in promising young painters, but none knew Triquet. Chris was beginning to get tired of the name. He stopped at a cafe for a cool drink. As he took out his wallet to pay, his eyes fell on Alexander Valud's card, still slightly sodden from its dip in the Seine. On a sudden impulse, Chris purchased some telephone tokens from the cashier and inquired for a telephone booth. Downstairs, monsieur, next to the restaurant. A secretary answered the call, and Chris gave his name, and a moment later, Valud himself came on the line. Ah, so you have changed your mind. I'm afraid not, sir. I just wanted to ask if you'd ever heard of a painter named Triquet. Triquet? Let me see. The name is familiar, certainement. Yes, of course, Triquet. Not too promising an artist, I fear. You are interested in seeing his work? No, sir, but I'd like to get in touch with him. Can you tell me where he lives? I've never met this Triquet, but the information you seek should be in my files. A moment, please. Presently, Valud returned with the address. Chris thanked him and caught a taxi outside. The place proved to be a narrow stone tenement building on a dingy street near Quai Saint-Michel. The front door stood ajar. Chris's nostrils were assailed by stale cooking odors of boiled cabbage and garlic. There was no sign of a concierge, but he glimpsed an elderly man in an undershirt down the hall. Triquet, sir? Top floor, monsieur. Last door on the right. Chris climbed the rickety stairs to the garret. Outside Triquet's door lay a small block of ice. Chris knocked. Who is it? A voice called. Who not me? He whispered hoarsely. The bearded fellow who had been at the cafe that morning peered out. He gaped in dismay and tried to slam the door, for Chris's foot had already been jammed into the opening. 
His hands snake through and grab the beard. Open up, Kashon. To emphasize his order, Chris gave the beard a sharp yank, and the door opened smartly. Chris stepped inside. It was a typical artist's studio, littered with canvases and pots of paint. A skylight sloped almost to the floor. Brigitte Dubois was standing near a curtain at one side of the room, evidently used to partition off the living quarters from the artist's workspace. She stared at Chris with wide, fearful eyes. Triquet growled, It is against the law to break in. Really? It's also against the law to slug people and dump them in the Seine. However, if you like, I can call the police and have you both arrested. Triquet and Brigitte exchanged worried glances. Who are you? The blonde asked Chris. Can't you get it through your head? I do not wish your help. What is it you want? I'll ask the questions, please. Suppose we start by finding out who you are. So the name is Brigitte Dubois, right? The blonde gave a sulky nod. I'm a model, an artist's model. Chris turned her black-bearded companion. And you? Boltriquet. You have eyes. I am a painter, as you see. Brigitte is my cousin. You were pestering her, and she needed help to get rid of you. So I did what I could. What were you doing in America? Chris asked Brigitte. I went there to to see a friend. Who? I will not tell you, monsieur. Her violet eyes wavered under Chris's cold stare, and she bit her lower lip nervously. Anyway, his name can be of no importance to you. I was only there one day, and then came back because my friend was taken ill. Interesting coincidence. I have a friend who was taken ill, too. And he happened to be carrying a painting of you, Mademoiselle Dubois. Brigitte's eyes widened again. I for Anson? Chris nodded. Are you a... A secret agent, monsieur? Sure. 007 himself. Chris grinned sarcastically. It happens I'm a college student on vacation, but I intend to find out why Anson was taken ill, as you put it. So let's stop with the sparring. Who was that creep on the plane last night who grabbed your arm? I don't know, believe me, monsieur, but it is true I have seen him before. Where? Here in Paris. He was spying on Ivor, I mean, Monsieur Anson, for several days before Anson flew home to the United States. Anson was frightened of something? Oui, Monsieur, very frightened, with good reason as it turned out. Of what? Of the same thing, the same person that has me terrified too. Brigitte's voice had sunk to a husky whisper. A person whom Ivor knew only as... Le Glacier, the Iceman, or sometimes he spoke of him as the Chiller. A picture rose in Chris's memory of Anson, lying on the picnic ground blue with cold, his skin frosted with tiny scales of... Suddenly Chris remembered something else. Have you seen what's lying outside your door, he said, glancing from Brigitte to Triquet. What do you mean, monsieur? the artist asked. They followed as Chris strode back to the door and opened it. The ice was still there. Brigitte's face went ashen when she saw it. She swayed weakly and would have collapsed if Triquet had not caught her.
His own face looked sick. Chris himself felt oddly woozy. It was a moment before the answer hit him. Vapor. Deadly vapor from that melting ice. He snatched it up and raced to the skylight, flinging a pane wide open and hurled the ice cube outside. Chris was just turning back to Brigitte and Triquet when a deafening blast shook the studio. Chapter 5. The Chiller The explosion shattered the skylight and sent a shower of broken glass to the floor. Brigitte and Triquet were a safe distance near the door, but all three were knocked off their feet. They lay stunned but uninjured. Nom de bleu, gasped Triquet in a shaky voice. What happened? They picked themselves up, surprised to be alive. I guess that that ice was more lethal than I thought, Chris said. Then you did not know it would explode? Chris shook his head. It contained a layer of frozen poison gas. Cyanogen or hydrogen cyanide, probably. The stuff vaporized as the ice melted. That's what was making us ill. In time it would have seeped under the door. But the center of the ice cube must have contained some nitroglycerin, too. Nitro. Triquet's face again turned sickly pale. You mean the stuff for blowing safes? I'm afraid so. Doesn't take much to set it off. Just the shaking from being thrown out the window was enough. And if you hadn't thrown it out? Chris shrugged. When the ice melted, I guess that the nitro would have dribbled along the floor. I suppose that you would have stepped on it coming out of your apartment. Triquet's hands was trembling as he wiped the beads of perspiration from his forehead. Brigitte sank down on a chair. Le glacier! She quavered fearfully. He is out to get me too, just like he got Ivel. The panic in her eyes gave Chris the feeling that she was ready to reveal everything. He peered out the broken skylight for a moment at the street below. Knots of people had gathered and heads were sticking out of windows, but apparently no one had been hurt by the blast. How well did you know Anson? Chris asked. We were engaged to be married as soon as he finished his his mission here in France. Seeing Chris's narrowed gaze, she added hastily. He was a secret agent, of course. Oh, yes, I know very well, monsieur. And I think you know it, too. What happened? I mean, why did Anson go back to the United States? To save his life. Brigitte blurted impatiently. As I told you, he was in deadly fear. He knew that the chiller was hunting him. Three times he had the most narrow escape, and there was no place left to hide. He knew that next time would mean the finish. You went back to America with him? No. He flew back by himself in disguise. I was to follow on a different flight and join him in New York, but I arrived too late. Bridget's voice choked up. On Saturday... When I landed, there was a newspaper story telling that a man named Chan Lee had been found in a park. His mind blank, unable to talk. What was the use of seeing him? I knew if I tried, I might be the chiller's next victim. So I flew home again to Paris. Who is this chiller? Chris asked. Don't you know anything about him? Nothing, except he is deadly and has eyes everywhere. When you trailed me from the airport, monsieur, I feared you might be one of his agents. That is why I phoned my cousin to help get rid of you. 
but at the cafe you proved not so easy to deal with, so we faked that story about the valuable painting. What about the man on the plane, that frog-faced guy? Could that be the chiller? No. Brigitte shook her head. I'm sure he's not Le Glacier, or Ivor would have known, but Ivor feared he might be working for Le Glacier, and I too feared him for the same reason. Chris went back to the broken skylight. There is a way we could find out what's behind all this, he said after a moment. What do you mean, monsieur? Whoever planted that ice outside the door may still be watching the building. You see someone down there? Brigitte's face paled. Hard to tell from here, but if you and I left together, we might get him to show himself, assuming anyone is watching. No, I will not do that. Brigitte's voice throbbed with fear. It is too dangerous to turn our backs and let him follow us. He might strike us down from behind. Oh, don't worry. He won't take us unaware. I promise you that. Seeing her stubborn expression, Chris added, Look, do you want to go on living like this and fear for your life? You've both just had one narrow escape. Next time you may not be so lucky. This is a chance to get him off your back once and for all. Brigitte looked uncertainly at Triquet. The painter gave a worried shrug. I do not know, ma chère. Maybe he was right. Maybe I think this fellow knows what he is talking about. Brigitte took a deep breath. Happy end, she said to Chris. I will do what you say. Good. They watched as Chris took out a pair of dark sunglasses with large, square eye frames. You think the lunette de soleil make a clever disguise? She asked with biting scorn. No, but they give me a two-way vision, forward and back, if I turn my head slightly. Half of each lens is a rear-view mirror. They pick up an image from a prism at each hinge. Ah, je comprends. Moments later, Chris and the blonde emerged from the tenement house. A knot of people was jabbering at two policemen. The couple walked down the block and turned left at the corner. Across the street was an open-air cafe. Through his rearview glasses, Chris saw a man leave one of the tables and start in pursuit. Chris and Brigitte continued without speeding their pace. The shadower was following, half a block behind. He wore a beret of all things and a dark, open-necked sports shirt under his tweed jacket. Left again at the next corner, Chris murmured. As soon as they turned out of sight of their shadow, Chris broke step abruptly and pushed Brigitte against a shop window. It was a little tabac, surrounded by the red lantern-like emblem of all Parisian tobacco stores. Brigitte was trembling. What are you going to do? She whispered. Shh! Chris took off the sunglasses. Presently their shadow came around the corner. He had the dark-skinned Arab look of an Algerian. His jaw dropped in dismay as Chris suddenly stepped in front of him. May we help you, mon ami? Chris smiled. The Algerian snarled and backed off, his hand snatching at his coat pocket. A knife had barely flashed into view when Chris had leapt up and kicked it from his hand. Cat-like, Chris pivoted and met the Algerian head-on with a hand-sword karate jab to the chest. The stunning force set the man reeling. In blind panic, he turned and fled. Allons! Chris shouted and dotted after him. Brigitte followed as fast as she could. 
startled pedestrians, impeded the chase. Chris dodged them quarterback-style, trying not to lose sight of his quarry. A blue Citroën DS was parked near the cafe. The Algerian dived into it and clawed at the ignition. Chris reached the car just as the engine came to life. He grabbed wildly at the door handle, but the Citroën roared off. A taxicab was coming from the opposite direction. Chris hailed it with a yell. Brigitte was just catching up as the taxi U-turned. He pushed her into it ahead of him and shouted orders to the driver. A hundred francs if you can catch that Citroën. It was headed for the Boulevard Saint-Michel, but the late afternoon heavy traffic blocked its getaway. Turning north, the Citroën bored its way across the Ile de la Cité to the right bank. Chris hunched grimly behind the driver, watching. The Citroën traced a zigzag course, turning into side streets, then doubling back in a vain attempt to shake them. Chris's taxi hung on like a bulldog to a burglar's pant leg. The rush hour snarl was growing worse, a typical Paris traffic jam, as people headed home to dinner. Lively French insults were traded out of the car windows. The Citroën was soon wedged in too tightly to escape, but his pursuer, by the same token, was unable to overhaul it and force it to the curb. As they crawled up the Champs-Élysées, the western sky was reddening behind the Arc de Triomphe. The Citroën circled and headed east again. Later, they crossed back to the left bank. Saint alors, Bridget fumed nervously. We are on a sightseeing tour of Paris. He could have been on the open highway by now, Chris agreed. An uneasy suspicion was growing in his mind. Perhaps the Algerian was killing time on purpose, leading them on an intentional wild goose chase. At last the Citroën swung left off the Avenue Le Bourdonnais. It was halting near the base of the Eiffel Tower. The Algerian jumped up and ran toward the ticket booth. Chris's taxi was held up by the turn. By the time it reached the tower, the Algerian was entering one of the Eiffel's elevators. Chris shoved money into the taxi man's hand and ran to intercept the fugitive. But it was too late. The cage was starting upward. Rats, he said. Grabbing Brigitte's arm, Chris turned back to the ticket booth. It was minutes before the next elevator ascended. Chris was sweating with frustration and impatience as the cage rose through the iron grillwork of the tower leg. He would have to search all three platforms. Meanwhile, the Algerian might be on his way down again. The man was nowhere on the first sightseeing level, either inside the glass enclosed of the restaurant or on the open platform. At the second level, Chris also drew blank. He entered the elevator cage again with Brigitte for the long ride up to the top level of the tower peak. The view was breathtaking. The whole panorama of Paris lay spread out below. Even the white dome of Sacre Cour could be glimpsed on the heights of Montmartre far to the north. The elevator cage stopped. Chris hurried out, scanning the people scattered around the platform. His quarry stood at the rail. Chris gave a grin of triumph as he recognized the beret and rumpled tweed jacket. He strode toward the man and tapped his shoulder. Great view, isn't it? The man turned, showing a scar on his right cheek. It was not the Algerian. Then Brigitte screamed. Chris whirled, but not fast enough. The Algerian in shirt sleeves grabbed Chris by the coat as the scar-faced man seized the youth's arm. Together, they flung Chris far out over the rail and into empty space. <laughs>